Welcome back to True Crimes Untold. I'm your host, Jessica Rodenz. This next episode is on Lacey and Scott Peterson. Everybody sitting at home wants the answer to the same question. Did you murder your wife? No, no, I did not. And I had absolutely nothing to do with her disappearance. And and use the word murder, and yeah, I mean, that is a, a possibility. Um, it's not one we're ready to accept, and it creeps in my mind late at night and early in the morning. And during the day, all we can think about is the right resolution is to find her well. But as you know, increasingly, in the public, suspicion has turned on you. Hi, friends. How are you? Are you doing well? What's new? I hope you're all well, happy and healthy and having a wonderful weekend. You guys, it is almost Halloween. Well, almost in like a month, but still, I'm excited. We got all kinds of new spooky decorations for outside this year, and we pass out candy every year, and we get like 150 plus trick-or-treaters, and we're like really the only one who goes all out decoration-wise, so just everybody loves stopping at our house. Like, for real. It, it's fun. It's cool. You do, like, fog mis- machines. Just just everything. I'll, t- I'll post a picture. I'm going to stop trying to explain it, and I'm just going to post a picture when it's all finished. So, yeah. Anyway, let's get into it. So, this next case, it's definitely much more popular than the cases that I usually cover. It happened back in 2002, but it's kind of like still ongoing so I thought it was a good time to cover it 2002 we didn't have podcasts you know so I just recently listened to podcasts on it the documentaries watched the interviews and I'm like wow I really didn't know this case like I thought I did so yeah it is on Lacey and Scott Peterson So Scott Peterson was born October 24th, 1972 in San Diego, California to Lee Arthur Peterson and he owned a crate packaging company and his mother was Jacqueline, also known as Jackie Helen Latham and she owned a boutique in La Jolla called The Put On. La Jolla is beautiful. If you've ever been there, you know, it's just It's just a really beautiful area, definitely upscale. So the, um, the Petersons definitely, they had some money. Lee and Jackie had six children from previous relationships and Scott was their only child together. At an early age, Scott started to play golf with his father. And by the age of 14, he was an avid golfer and he was able to beat his dad in a game. So he was good. He caught on quickly and he was beating his dad. So he was good. Scott was a student in University of San Diego High School, and that's where he started to get recognized for his golfing skills. 
After Scott graduated from high school, he spent a semester at Arizona State University on a partial golf scholarship. He later dropped out of the university after he was kicked off the golf team due to indecent behavior. So his first semester in college, just like many others, all Scott really cared about was partying, drinking, and girls. So yeah, he didn't do too great, and Scott returned home after leaving Arizona to attend um, Cuesta College in San Luis Obispo. In 1994, he transferred to nearby California Polytechnic State University, where he majored in agricultural business. Professors who taught Scott described him as a model student. His agribusiness professor, Jim Aaron, commented, I wouldn't mind having a class full of Scott Petersons. So yeah, he did good in school, and they said the same thing about him in high school. Um, he, he was a, a model student. And then when he went back to school after leaving Arizona State, he started to take it more seriously. He's like, okay, this is my life. This is what I want to do. So he wasn't, you know, partying as much. Lacey Denise Rocha was born May 4th, 1975 to Sharon and Dennis Robert Rocha. They had met in high school and owned a dairy farm west of Escalon, California. Lacey worked on the farm from a young age and also enjoyed gardening with her mother. It was one of her favorite activities, and she developed an appreciation for plant life, and that influenced her later in life. Sharon and Dennis divorced when Lacey and her brother were young. Sharon and the children moved to Modesto, um, but the children visited the dairy farm and stayed with their father on the weekends. Sharon eventually married Ron Gransky, who helped raise Lacey and Brent from the time Lacey was just two years old. And he was a great, you know, stepfather. They were very close. You know, she just looked at him like he was another father figure. Lacey was a cheerleader in junior high and high school. After graduating from Thomas Downey High School, she attended California Polytechnic State University, where she majored in ornamental horticulture. While at California Polytech, Scott worked at restaurant worked at a restaurant in Morrow Bay called the Pacific Cafe. One of his co-workers would receive visits from a neighbor named Lacey Denise Rocha, who also attended Cal Poly. When Scott Peterson and his future wife first met at the restaurant in mid-1994, Lacey made the first move, sending him her phone number. Immediately after meeting Scott, Lacey told her mother that she had met the man that she would marry. Scott later called Lacey and they began dating pretty quickly. The couple dated for two years and eventually moved in together. In 1997, after Lacey graduated, they married at Sycamore Mineral Springs Resort in San Luis Obispo County's Avilia Valley. While Scott finished his senior year, Lacey took a job near in nearby uh, Prunedale. Scott graduated with a Bachelor of Science degree in Agricultural Business in June 1998. After both their graduations, the Petersons opened a sports bar in San Luis Obispo called The Shack. 
Now, obviously, um, you know, Scott's parents definitely had some money. I read um, in a few different articles that his family was able to help um, Lacey and Scott. They gave them a $30,000 loan um, for their first house. At one point, Scott's father gives him um, another $30,000 loan so he can become a member at this very high-end golf course. So they are definitely receiving some help from Scott's family, which is fine. You know, they're helping them. If, if they're able to do it, then good for them. They're helping them get on their feet to start their life together. So, yeah, so they opened the shack, um, and at first, business was pretty slow, but eventually it improved, especially on the weekends. It must have been, I guess, bumping on the weekends. <laughs> so the Petersons eventually sold the shack in 2000, and they moved to Lacey's hometown of Modesto to start a family. So they're ready to take, you know, their next steps. It said that they tried for about three years to have a child but were unsuccessful. So they started to talk about um, the consideration of adoption. In October 2000, they purchased a three-bedroom, two-bath bungalow house on Covina Avenue in an upscale neighborhood near East La Loma Park. Lacey soon took a part-time job as a substitute teacher, and Scott got a job with Trade Corp USA. It was a newly founded subsidiary of a European fertilizer company. So they were both making pretty good money. Um, reports said that Scott was, you know, he was commission-based, making around 5000 a week. So things were, you know, going pretty good for them, and they were just still trying to conceive, trying to have a baby. Lacey's loved ones, including her mother and younger sister, stated that she worked enthusiastically at being, a, at the, at being the perfect housewife, enjoying cooking and entertaining, and that she and her family welcomed the news in 2002 that she was finally pregnant. While Lacey was pregnant, she tried her best to stay in good shape. She would go on lots of walks, take yoga classes, and she would eat pretty healthy. Lacey would mention to her family members that she started to feel sick when she was taking her walks, and that one day she had taken her dog out for a walk, and she got so sick that she thought she was going to pass out. She took a small break and then attempted to finish uh, walking her dog, but the same thing happened. Lacey talked to her doctor, and he had told her she should stop walking and start resting more. In November 2002, when Lacey was seven months pregnant, she decided to quit her job as a substitute teacher because she was having a hard pregnancy, and she was just feeling very uncomfortable on her feet all day. So thankfully, um, she was able to do that. So she was able to take it easy, which the doctor was recommending, you know, for her to do. Uh, So yeah, she ended up leaving her teaching job to finish out her pregnancy. During this time, Scott buys a 14-foot aluminum boat, and he does not tell anyone about the purchase of the boat. It was suspected that Lacey did not even know because Lacey's father, Ron, was an avid fisherman and she told her family basically everything, but she never mentioned anything about the boat. 
Scott had this acquaintance. It was a female friend. And she told Scott one night that she wanted him to meet one of her friends, uh, Amber Fry. She thought that Scott and Amber would really hit it off. And she talked Scott into meeting Amber and going on a date with her. Come forward, lady. Uh, We all need to know your name because you're not allowed to be friends with anybody who has a boyfriend, fiance, husband, brother, father. Like, how fucked up? What? Why would you introduce your friend knowing that he has a pregnant wife at home? Just mind your business, okay? But I can't find her name anywhere I would be definitely calling her out so it was just a uh, an acquaintance friend of Scott's so and that was really all that it said about her so she doesn't seem like too good of a friend's So yeah, she thought that Amber and Scott, you know, would really hit it off. So Scott gets Amber's number and he decides to call and leave her a voicemail introducing himself. Amber ends up getting in touch with Scott and during the conversation, Scott describes to Amber what he looks like over the phone. He tells her that he's not very tall, that he's overweight, he has a belly and long greasy hair. And Amber was just like, oh, those are all the things I'm looking for in a man because she did not mind the description and she ended up agreeing to go on a first date with Scott. They met at the Elephant Bar in Fresno on November 20th, 2002. After meeting at the bar, the two decide to go get Japanese food for dinner. Scott tells Amber that he needed to check into his hotel room and he asked her if she would like to come back to his room with him. While they're in the room, Scott takes a shower and gets dressed for dinner. So, so far it sounds like a really great first date. Like, it is 2002. You still have to be very careful. Um, She's like, sure, I'll come up to your hotel room. I've only known you for an hour or so. And go ahead and lock yourself in the bathroom. You're in the shower. I'll just sit here and wait for you. Like, how awkward. But... She was okay with it, I guess. So, yeah. After dress or after Scott gets dressed um, for dinner, they decide to pop open a bottle of champagne and enjoy some strawberries in the room before they head out. So they go to dinner, and while they're at dinner, Amber is just telling Scott about how she is a massage therapist, and Scott's telling her how he's single and living in Sacramento. Scott told Amber that with his job, he had a warehouse in Modesto. He told her that uh, he has a lot of trips planned for the holidays. Scott said he was going to Alaska for Thanksgiving and then to Maine. And for New Year's, he was going to Paris, France. And he would be traveling all over Europe in January for business. So basically, he's just letting her know, like, I'm going to be busy. Yeah, because you have a wife at home. So you are busy. After dinner, the two went back to Scott's hotel room and Amber stayed the night with him. For Thanksgiving, Scott and Lacey went to San Diego to stay with Scott's family. While they were there visiting his family, they decided to go to Disneyland, which like, poor Lacey, like seven, eight months pregnant. She can not be on her feet for too long or she gets sick and they choose to take her to Disneyland. So 
It was said that during their trip to Disney, Lacey was miserable. She was very sick the entire time, and because she was pregnant, there wasn't much she could do there. When the Petersons returned back home, Scott was ready to plan a second date with Amber. They met on December 2nd to go hiking, and this time Amber brought her daughter with her so Scott could meet her. So she's already feeling comfortable enough to introduce her child to Scott. I have friends um, that won't even introduce their child after months of dating somebody. You know, I mean, I, I know it's it's all your own decision. I get that. But I don't know. Seems a little quick. After the hike, they went back to Amber's house, cooked dinner, and uh, Scott ended up staying the night with Amber at her house that night. So just another night that he is away from Lacey. And he's telling Lacey that he is at a work meeting or a conference meeting, and that's the reason he was away um, more nights now than he usually would be. Three weeks before Christmas, Lacey's grandmother sadly passes away, and she left her grandchildren a pretty big inheritance. Her entire estate totaled around $2 million, and it was to be split between Lacey and her two siblings for when they turned 30. On December 9th, Scott called Amber to ask her if he could come over because he needed to talk to her about something. She's like, sure, come on over. He goes over to Amber's house, and once he's there, he sits at the dining room table, and he just starts crying. He then tells Amber that he lied to her and has not been completely honest. Scott tells Amber that he was married once before, but his wife is dead, and this was going to be the first Christmas without her. Scott tells Amber that he doesn't want any biological children of his own and that her daughter would be enough for him and he would be willing to get a vasectomy. So I think at this point, Amber is a little like worried. You know, it just seems pretty quick that he's saying these things. He, she's finding out that he's been lying to her. So I think it was more like a red flag for Amber. She wasn't you know, it wasn't like, oh, this is all great things that you're saying. She was like, oh, maybe it's time to take a step back. Now, Christmas is approaching and Scott tells Amber that he is going to be traveling over the next couple of weeks, but he wanted to try to keep their relationship going even while he's traveling. On December 15th, Sharon, Lacey's mom, goes over to Lacey and Scott's house. Sadly, this would be the last time that she sees her daughter alive. That evening, Scott was supposed to cook lasagna for dinner, but told Lacey he wouldn't be able to because he was running late at work, but he was actually at Amber's house. Sharon later recalled that Lacey was annoyed, but she didn't voice her frustrations, but it was obvious that she was definitely annoyed with Scott. She said that Lacey just threw in some like frozen dinner quickly, you know, to just try to make something up since they had had plans to eat the lasagna. On the morning of Christmas Eve, Scott said he woke up around 8 a.m. and when he got up, Lacey was already up. Scott said that Lacey was eating a bowl of cereal and that if she did not eat right away when she first got up, she would be sick for the whole day. Later down the line, Scott changed his story and said that after he woke up, him and Lacey sat down and ate cereal together, which it's like, 
if you're telling the truth, your story just will never have to change. It would have always been that they ate cereal together, not that she ate alone because she had to eat first thing, you know? So right away, it's like he's just not being completely honest. Scott said he asked Lacey what she had planned for the day, and she said she was going to go for a walk that morning and then make some gingerbread cookies, and then she was going to the store to buy bread to make French toast. She wanted to buy specific bread to make her French toast, probably some Texas toast, so I get it. You need Texas toast to make your French toast. It's just the way, okay? It's the way you have to do it. Before Scott left that morning, he loaded three patio umbrellas into his truck to take with him to the warehouse. A neighbor saw Scott doing this and they smiled and waved to each other. Scott then went back into the house and filled a mop bucket for Lacey so she could clean while he was gone. Scott, you clean. Like, don't make your pregnant wife clean, you asshole. Scott then tells Lacey that he was going golfing and goes to leave, but once he's outside, he realizes it's just too cold for golfing. So he decides to go on a fishing trip instead at the Berkeley Marina, which was about 90 miles outside of Modesto. Before Scott goes fishing, he goes to the warehouse first, which is where he has uh, his boat stored. At the warehouse, Scott works on the computer for a while and then leaves at 11.18 a.m. He purchases a boating ticket at 12.54 p.m. When Scott was asked later on, he could not say what he was fishing for or what kind of bait and lures he was using to fish with. Supposedly, the time of day that Scott went fishing is a horrible time to go, which was like another red flag Of course, there's good and bad times to go out onto the water to fish, you know, with high tide, low tide, if the water's choppy. I'm sure there's a handful of reasons, and he just went at the worst possible time you could go. Scott said that when he got out on the water, he realized that he forgot his bait and tried to fish anyways, but headed back in because he got wet and was cold. Another thing I thought was strange is when he was initially asked what kind of bait he used, he couldn't remember, but he'd actually forgotten his bait and then decided to fish without it. That would be something you would remember. You go to sit down to put your bait or your lure on and you're like, oh shit, I don't have it. Are you going to really forget that like the next day or the same day? I don't, I don't think so. During this time, a few people said that they saw Lacey walking her dog around 10 a.m. that morning near the park, but their dog ended up being found alone roaming near the house with its leash still on. On Scott's way home, he stops for gas around 3.25 p.m., and he ends up back at his warehouse around 4.15 p.m., He loaded his boat back into storage, and he arrived at home within the next 30 minutes. When Scott got home, that's when he said he noticed the dog out in the yard with its leash still on. So, of course, he picked his dog up, took the dog into the house to take its leash off, and he notices that the mop bucket that he had filled up for Lacey is still in the same spot untouched. After that, he said he went outside to grab the mail, and that's when he noticed Lacey's car in the driveway. 
Scott initially assumed that Lacey was probably at Sharon, her mom's house, so he made some leftover pizza for dinner, poured himself a glass of milk, and did a load of laundry. I just have to laugh at the pizza and milk because, like, online people are like, oh, God, pizza and milk, gross. And I'm like, oh, I can drink chocolate milk, not regular milk, but chocolate milk with anything, including pizza. So I I get it. And a lot of people do think it's gross, but not me. I don't, I don't mind it at all. So, yeah. So he put a load of laundry in, and then after that, he went to take a shower. After he gets out of the shower, he decides to check the answering machine. And that's when he heard that Ron, Lacey's father, had left a, had left a message for Lacey. Scott said that he knew something was wrong at that moment, and he started to worry. Scott called Sharon and asked her if Lacey was there. Sharon told him no, and he goes on to tell her about how the dog was outside with its leash on, how Lacey's car was in the driveway, about, you know, the bucket not being moved, just all the weird things that he had noticed. So Sharon told him to hang up and to call her friends to see if she could be with any of them. Sharon realized that Scott used the words, Lacey's missing, and that's when she had a sickening feeling in her gut that something was wrong. Sharon had Ron call the police, and while he was doing that, Sharon got ready and headed to the dog park to make sure Lacey didn't fall or pass out while she was walking the dog, which was smart. I would have probably done the same thing since Lacey has been saying when she walks, which is why I was stressing it so much, that she gets sick, that she feels like she's going to pass out. Sharon told Scott to meet her at the dog park, but Scott didn't arrive until much later and he was with the police when he did arrive. That night, around 80 people showed up to help search for Lacey. Sharon, of course, started to ask Scott where Lacey was, what she had planned that day. He said that Lacey was supposed to walk the dog, make gingerbread cookies, go to the store, and that was really all the plans Lacey had. Ron then asked Scott if he went golfing, and Scott told him no that he went fishing instead because of the cold weather. Ron, being the avid fisherman he is, asked Scott what time he went fishing, and for some reason Scott lied to him and said he went at 9.30 a.m., And this just struck Ron as odd because he said usually that's around the time that people are just leaving from fishing. They're just getting home from fishing. So it's definitely a weird time still to go. Police questioned Scott and went into the home to take photos. The police thought it was weird that Scott came home and did a load of laundry because he didn't do a full load. He only washed the clothes that he had on that day. Even though there was a pile of dirty rags sitting on top of the washing machine and a full bin of dirty clothes upstairs. It didn't necessarily mean anything. It was just strange that he decided to only wash his clothes from that day. Also on the dresser in their bedroom, Lacey's jewelry was there and her purse. 
Lacey always wore her jewelry. She had a couple of pieces that she only took off when she went to bed, and she always took her purse with her. And Scott said she was supposed to go to the store that day, so she would have taken her purse. After searching the home and talking to Scott, that's when police had a feeling that Scott was not being fully honest, but they also had nothing on him, so they basically just had to you know, keep an eye on him and just continue to search for Lacey. Police ask if they can go see his office warehouse area. So Scott takes them out there and inside they find his, um, his boat and homemade anchors that Scott had been making. The more police talked to Scott and the family, things just weren't adding up. Lacey was 27 and eight months pregnant at the time, and based off of what everyone was saying, she was having a difficult pregnancy towards the end. It just didn't make sense that Lacey was walking the dog, running errands, when moving around too much was making her sick. Police ask Lacey's family if they think they should be looking into Scott for Lacey's disappearance. Lacey's family tells police, absolutely not. There's no way he did anything to her. The media ended up getting a hold of the story pretty quickly, and it was everywhere. Lacey's family would talk to the media, and they believed Lacey was still out there alive. They pleaded for help from the public um, to help find Lacey, and that if someone out there took her, to to please release her and let her come home safe. They really believed that someone had kidnapped her and were holding her hostage to take her child. And at one point, Lacey's whole family and Scott did a TV interview. And again, Lacey's family is just looking directly into the camera and just saying and pleading that if you have Lacey, please just let her go. And then the camera cuts to Scott and he's just kind of like wide eyed. And his response was, She may not be coming back, and we have to look at all the possibilities. Suspish. Like, why, Scott? You can't even fake it. Like, that's just a strange and weird thing to say. Um, You know, just maybe keep that to yourself. Scott told investigators in the beginning that he would gladly take a polygraph test to prove that he had nothing to hide, but they asked him again if he would be willing to take one, and this time Scott changes his mind and tells them no. Scott confesses that he didn't tell anyone about the boat he bought, and he was nervous that it would look like he lied about it and would look like he was being deceitful. And also, his internet search history showed that he looked up the bay tides and waves that day. Which, it doesn't matter. if Even if you did do those things, they're going to ask you questions about Lacey. And if you're being truthful of not knowing where she is, then it doesn't matter that you have that search history or that you bought a boat you know now if you're not being honest about like knowing where she is and they're seeing that you're being deceitful about that then yeah those things are going to be important which is why maybe he didn't want to take the polygraph test so investigators go back out to the warehouse to do another search and when they get there they notice that it looks different from the first time they were there a lot, of th- a lot of things had been moved around and it had been cleaned. 
This time, though, police found a pair of pliers in the boat and connected to those pliers was a long strand of black hair. Tons of tips were coming into police and about five different people said that they saw Scott out at the bay that day that Lacey went missing. On December 29th, Amber Fry was at a party and she was telling one of her friends about Scott and how she just didn't know how she felt about him anymore. The friend that Amber was talking to recognized Scott's name and told Amber that Scott may be in connection with a missing woman. He then gave Amber a tip line number where you can call and give any information that you may have on a case. Amber calls the tip line right away and tells them that she has been having an affair with Scott. This confession from Amber was huge for the police because they didn't have anything on Scott at that time. The police ask Amber if she would be willing to record the, uh, the phone call conversations between her and Scott, and she agrees. Scott called Amber on New Year's Eve, which was the same day that he was at um, a candlelight vigil that Lacey's family was holding for Lacey. He called Amber that same day. He, he tells her that he's in Paris and how incredible it is. The call was short, but it was recorded by Amber for the police. Meanwhile, divers are searching the bay waters, and over the course of the next few weeks, they would end up searching the waters 15 different times, but would come up with nothing. On another recorded phone um, phone call with Amber, she's expressing to Scott how upset she was with him that he lied about being married and that his wife was pregnant. So she's telling him now, hey, I know. Scott tells Amber over the phone that he took the polygraph test and that he passed it and that Lacey knew he was having an affair and she was okay with it and had accepted it. Like, no, no, she did not accept that. On January 13th, the media found out about the affair between Scott and Amber, and they ended up running a story about Amber. On January 24th, Amber was forced to come out to the public and make a statement due to the harassment she was receiving. Many people believe that she was doing this for attention, that she was selfish, and was trying to get something out of this. But Amber swears that she had no idea that Scott had a pregnant wife at home while she was dating him. Even after Amber's statement, people still did not believe her and they continued to verbally rip her apart. The media, the people, they just did not like her. They did not believe her. They thought she was just this mistress who was trying to rip apart a family. Yeah. After Amber came forward, Lacey's family also came out with a public statement which showed more doubt in Scott's story and his involvement, so they were no longer Team Scott. Police had secretly placed a GPS tracking device on Scott's car and they were following his every move. Scott had made five different trips to the Bay Marina. He would pull up to the same spot every time, sometimes staying there for a while and other times for just a few minutes. People suspected that Scott was going to that exact spot to see if police had found anything, 
and other people thought that maybe he was going out there to look at the water and clear his mind. There was so much media coverage on this case and so far no answers to what happened to Lacey. So this led to a sit-down TV interview between Scott and Diane Sawyer on January 28, 2003. Scott confessed to the affair but said that he had told Amber the truth about Lacey. During the interview, Scott gets emotional and starts to cry. Investigators noticed how Scott just let his tears run down his face without wiping them away, which is unusual because your hand would automatically wipe the tears as they fell to your cheeks. They, they said he basically had to have probably been like, don't wipe your tears, don't wipe your tears, don't wipe your tears. Or his hand would have just, which makes sense, you know, like, unless you were hysterically crying, which he wasn't, you would just gradually wipe your tears away. And he wasn't doing that. He was just letting them continue to fall. Uh, It seemed like Scott wanted to make sure his tears were being seen. After the interview, Scott was staying out of the spotlight, but then a car dealership came forward and said that Scott sold Lacey's car and purchased a new truck for himself. Two more women at this time also came forward and said that they too had an affair with Scott within the last couple of years. They both had similar stories. Scott would take them out, spend some money on them, make them feel special, and once both ladies found out that Scott was married, they dumped him. In February 2003, police asked Amber to stop recording the phone calls between her and Scott because they were worried they could be used against her if they go to court. Amber's phone records would show that Scott was still calling her all the time, though. On February 10th, which was Lacey's due date for baby Connor, the family held another candlelight vigil at the park for Lacey and Connor. February 10th was also Amber Fry's birthday, and can you guess what Scott did that day? He spent his day buying Amber a birthday gift and trying to meet up with her. So on the day that his son was supposed to be born, he was buying his mistress a birthday gift while while Connor and Lacey were still missing. So again, suspicious. Like, what are you doing? What do you think people are going to think, honestly? On February 18th, police were able to get another search warrant for Scott's house, but police didn't really find anything other than a lot of subscribed porn channels on Scott's TV. Of course, the media caught wind of the porn channels, and they focused very heavily on it, painting Scott as a porn-addicted, horrible husband, which it's like, okay, it's just porn. Everybody watches porn, but then I feel like, too, they're probably looking at it like, is that what you're worried about right now is, you know, like, beating your meat? Like, you should be worrying about your wife who's missing while she's pregnant, not, like, creating a whole new porn library on your television. So it's like, on one hand, yes, it's just porn. But on the other hand, like, get your priorities straight, Scott. While the police were searching the Peterson home, they were able to get a few strands of Lacey's hair from a hairbrush in hopes to match it to the hair strand that they found on the pliers that were in Scott's boat. 
In March, the forensic team was able to determine that the hair in the pliers was consistent with the hair taken from the hairbrush, but they couldn't be 100% sure because the hair strand that was in the pliers was missing the hair follicle. On April 13th, on the northern side of the bay shore, a small body was found. And then the very next day, a full body was found one mile south, washed up on the bay shore. Investigators confirmed that the two bodies were Lacey and Connor Peterson. Lacey's head and different limbs were missing. Connor was missing from Lacey's body, but for the most part, his body was intact, which led investigators to believe that he may have been inside of Lacey for many months after their death. It's believed that Lacey was sunk with cement anchors similar to the ones Scott knew how to make. There was no official cause of death because Lacey's body was in such bad shape. Police felt they had enough evidence to make an arrest, but Scott was nowhere to be found. He just dipped, like right in the middle of all of this. Police were able to track Scott's whereabouts through his cell phone, and they realized his, uh, he was down in San Diego, so they knew they needed to move fast because they were thinking Scott was going to make a run for the border into Mexico. They were able to locate Scott at a golf club, and, ha- and Scott had completely changed his appearance. He dyed all of his hair blonde, including his eyebrows and his new goatee. So he, his look was totally different. He's at a fucking golf club, people. Like, uh, come on. I just don't understand. If you were innocent, then you're just like stupid or something. You just want people to think you're guilty? I don't know. But it's just the strangest thing. Scott was also driving his parents' car, and he said the reason he wasn't driving his car was because he believed there was a GPS on it. Yeah, and he was right. There was. (laughs) Inside the car, police found a lot of camping gear, $15,000 in cash, three credit cards, his brother's passport, and Viagra. Viagra. Scott also had a variety of nice dress clothes, button-up shirts, ties, dress slacks, and dress shoes. I don't know what the hell he was doing. He had just like a little bit of everything for every occasion, I guess. I don't know. Scott told the police that he was living out of his car to avoid media attention and also dyed his hair because he was being followed by the media everywhere he went and he couldn't do anything. Scott was arrested and taken into custody. His trial began June 1st, 2004. Scott's lawyers were focusing on the police and how they handled the case, saying that there was really no proof against Scott. There was no fingerprints, no DNA, and the only thing they had against him was that he was having an affair and the strand of hair found on the pliers in Scott's boat. They also tried to push the theory that Lacey was most likely killed by a satanic cult because she was missing some of her limbs. 
They also focus on how the divers searched the bay 15 times and found nothing, which made them believe that Lacey was placed there later on, later on, and with Scott being tracked and followed everywhere, there would not have been a chance for him to place the body in the bay without any witnesses. Ugh, that was a long sentence. A forensic expert testified about the pliers with the hair strand, and prosecutors say that the hair strand most likely belonged to Lacey, but DNA could not fully prove it without that hair follicle. A criminologist for the State Department of Justice testified that the test she conducted on the pliers showed that the pliers had been used recently to cut anything, so just basically that they were used. The forensic expert also testified that she saw no signs of blood or human tissue on the pliers. Scott's defense lawyers theorized that someone kidnapped Lacey, held her hostage until she gave birth, and then dumped both bodies in the bay. The reason they believe this is because Scott was not home when Lacey was spotted walking the dog. There were 11 different witnesses in the neighborhood who saw Lacey walking the dog that morning. Police only questioned three of those 11 witnesses, so no good, not great police work there. I mean, again, so many people believe he's innocent without enough evidence. Tons of people think he's guilty just because of the way things went down, the things that he did. But on one hand, too, like the people who think he's innocent, it's like they believe the police just really honed in on him from the get-go as their prime suspect. So they may have missed some key facts in this case to, you know, to prove that he wasn't the prime suspect. So and seeing that and hearing that, that they only questioned three of 11 witnesses. But we also all know eyewitness accounts can be eh, not the greatest. And when you have 11 of them, that could be 11 different stories. Somebody's 445 is somebody else's 430. Somebody's 430 is somebody's 415. You get what I'm saying? Somebody's dark blonde hair is somebody's black hair. So, yeah. Amber Fry testified in court and tells them everything. Jurors listen to the recordings of Scott and Amber's phone conversations, which prove that Amber was telling the truth and that Scott was a liar. The prosecution presented Scott's affair, affair, financial problems, and fatherhood as all being motives for murdering Lacey and Connor. He killed Lacey due to increasing debt and his desire to be single again, which he obviously did have desires to be single. I mean, he cheated at least three times on her. On November 12, 2004, the jury convicted Scott of two counts of murder, first-degree murder for killing Lacey and second-degree murder for killing baby Connor. The judge followed the jury's verdict, sentencing Scott to death by lethal injection, calling the murder of Lacey cruel, uncaring, heartless, and callous. 
Scott's attorney filed a 423-page appeal of Scott's sentence, which he stated that the publicity uh, surrounding the trial and other mistakes deprived Scott of a fair trial. On August 24, 2020, the Supreme Court of California upheld Scott's conviction. Sorry, my dog just shook her whole body in the background. Upheld Scott's conviction, but overturned his death sentence. Now she's barking at herself in the mirror. She just thinks she's so funny. Because Scott's trial judge had dismissed jurors who opposed capital punishment without asking them whether they could put their views aside. Supreme Court rulings say that jurors may not be excused merely for opposition of the death penalty. Scott may get a retrial, but until then, Scott Peterson is currently serving a life sentence without the possibility of parole at California's San Quentin State Prison for the murder of his wife, Lacey, and their unborn son, Connor. There's a lot of people, like I said, who believe Scott is guilty, that he murdered Lacey, and there's also a lot of people who think he's innocent. So I guess we'll see um, if he has a retrial and if there's any more evidence, um, if there's a confession or what. But until then, I I just don't know. I honestly have no idea what to think. He was definitely suspicious, but that doesn't make somebody a murderer. So... I don't know. What do you guys think? But anyway, thanks for joining me. Thanks for listening. You can, of course, find me on Spotify. Click the subscribe button and you'll get weekly notifications with new episodes. I'm on Facebook and Instagram at True Crimes Untold Podcast. And I will see you guys next weekend. Bye. By the way, I threw a paper at Luna so she would not bark and just ruin this whole episode. And now she's ripping it up. So gotta go. See you next time.